the latest edition of Puncher's Chance with Pinnacle, the podcast that covers boxing betting from every angle. I'm your host, Chris McCarthy, and as ever, I'm joined by both Tom Craze and Andy Clark to break down the latest big fight odds available at Pinnacle, the bookmaker. With this month's focus being on the big trilogy bout between Sal Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Triple G Golovkin live from Las Vegas this weekend. Firstly, uh, Tom, Andy, how are we both? Very well, thanks. Chris, how are you? Nice, yeah, all good, all good. Um, yeah, looking forward to the uh, looking forward to the fight at the weekend and uh, plenty more, mate. So yeah, all good. Yeah, I had, I had some technical issues to overcome, but um, <laughs> I, I just about managed to 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 do that. So uh, yeah, we almost uh, yeah, almost gave yeah. up. Almost gave up anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're, just, we're here. <laughs> God, these things, honestly. Never mind. Anyway, yeah. all good, all good. <laughs> now, uh, I mean, touching upon that, uh, Andy, I'm just going to uh, before we kind of get into things and that, obviously. Um, spoke on the last episode about the the usage Joshua but obviously he was out there and commentating on it and was played a big part of it um for the kind of TV out there and radio and stuff like that so what was the, what was the kind of uh your reaction to everything at the end I mean there wasn't in terms of the odds and things like that I mean it kind of went you know according to plan it wasn't really any major surprises kind of Joshua slightly improved but in the end it kind of played out as we I suppose we sort of expected didn't it? I mean it did but a lot of people myself included were predicting a an Usyk stoppage in the second half because we felt that Joshua would really roll the dice and look to win it in the first half. And yeah. Usyk as well did pull off a a pretty perfect subterfuge, really, when it came to his weight because we saw those pictures of him in Dubai where he did look heavier. Amir Khan then said he looked 15 kilos heavier. We all knew that wasn't <laughs> right, but I thought he might have meant 15 pounds. That still looked like a bit much, but but I did think that he, he that he was going to be heavier, and in the end, he was exactly the same as he was in the first fight. Um, I kind of liked that, you know they they got that rumor out there almost, whether it was deliberate via Amir or not, and then they they just went along with it. And yeah. you find yourself in one of these hilarious situations where you've got a load of people at ringside, kind of looking at a at a human being and feeling like they know the difference between whether he weighs 220 <laughs> or 225 with their naked eye. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. But, you know, that that's what big fight weeks are like, aren't they? They 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 can reduce you to a level of lunacy, which um, you wouldn't normally entertain in your, or, or you shouldn't entertain in your everyday life. But it was a good experience. And I thought it was a, definitely a much improved performance from Joshua. I don't see how anybody could argue that it wasn't. We were saying in the build-up that he had to be more aggressive, but he couldn't be too gung-ho, that it was a very yeah. difficult balance to strike. And it was. And the, the reality is, whatever people think about the judges' scorecards and whether they feel like their own scorecard is the gospel truth and they are the sole arbiter of all things boxing, the reality is that through nine rounds, that fight was in the balance because he yeah. would have been yeah, up with yeah. one judge uh, significantly. He would have been he was up marginally with another judge and he was slightly down. Uh, with Victor Vesetsko. So he was there for the winning in the last three rounds. That's a fact. Uh, he just couldn't quite do it. 
Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. He kind of pulled away in the last uh, the last three, didn't he? And effectively, that's what put, well, pretty much won him the fight, wasn't it? Usage it was uh, had a little bit of a I think it was a torrid bit of a torrid ninth, and then just come back in the tenth, just kind of all guns blazing, which was obviously the sign of the quality and the fighter that he is, and obviously the the, the stamina that he possesses as well, because he went through the gears a bit there, which was uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, this month's episode, I think we just touched upon it there. There's no um, no real kind of uh, surprises for where we're going to start. Um, Sal Alvarez, uh, Gennady Golovkin, uh, the trilogy uh, bout, I mean, hopefully uh, this weekend it will be kind of put to bed. Um, they battle it out for a, a third time, like we just touched upon. Um, and it's for all the marbles at super middleweight. Um, obviously, the two kind of thrilling clashes that they've had uh, in previous years. I think it was 2017 and 18 where they first boxed. Um, I think the first was ruled a draw, uh, which was obviously extremely controversial. Uh, personally, myself, I'm not sure what you guys thought, but the first one, I certainly had Golovkin winning, whereas the the uh, the second fight, Canelo, which Canelo was given the victory, obviously that was a, a slightly more plausible uh, victory in my, in my eye from a, I suppose, from a betting angle um, and probably... Although it was also controversial a little bit, I felt that Bobby Canelo was better than the first fight um, than, the, uh, than he was in the sorry better in the first fight than he was in the second fight. So, um, I mean, Canelo comes into the to the to the to the third one this weekend. He's priced at one point eight four with Pinnacle, which is I mean is around about an eighty percent chance of victory in the odds. Uh, Golovkin sitting at four point nine eight, so I suppose fractional wise about four to one. Uh, in the betting, uh, which equates to just a slim 20% chance of victory, which is uh, might come as a little bit of a surprise to some. Uh, but, I mean, these odds are quite interesting when we talk about rematches. I've done a little bit of research from the previous kind of two fights and dug up some of the, the data as such. The betting, like it kind of almost always does in these kind of rematches, is almost flipped and reversed from the first and the second fights. Um, Golovkin in the first fight was... I think was given us around about a 60% chance of victory. And I think that after the first fight, he followed up with, that was around about 60% chance roughly in the second fight as well. So obviously Canelo, the underdog in both, um, but now obviously comes in with an 80% chance and a heavy, heavy betting favourite. Now, obviously the Mexican, he's improved, you know, he's improved a lot since then. And obviously the the age factor of Golovkin is going to, I'm imagining his factored into the odds here, um, Andy, I'll start with you again. This, in terms of obviously what we just touched upon there, I mean, obviously it's it's uh, a lot of people are kind of predicting that this might be a straightforward victory. Canelo predicting might even get a stoppage this time. What's your thoughts on firstly the kind of like the odds and what's your kind of breakdown of the fight? I think the odds are understandable. I think that price on Golovkin in a two-horse race for a fighter of his caliber even when you factor in age and you factor in that he's moving up eight pounds to middleweight, which everybody's assuming won't suit him. I think it's pretty wide. I think it will tempt a lot of people in. Yeah. And when you look at the fight itself, I thought Golovkin won the first fight. I thought the second fight, a draw would have been fair, but I didn't scream the house down that, that, that Canelo got it. Obviously, that's a while ago now. He's been made to wait. Golovkin's not been super active. You know, he's fought Steve Rolls. Drevianchenko, Murata, bit of a bruiser against Drevianchenko, Murata. He maybe looked a little bit vulnerable at times as well, but but he got the job done in in two world championship level fights in decent enough style, I thought. And for Golovkin, those were kind of 
marking time fights, bizarrely, even though Murata was a, a world title unification. But that's a level he's at, and he's been waiting for this for a long time. I think he rightly starts his favourite, Canelo. I struggle with this one a bit because I really, really want Golovkin to win. And, and I'm not involved, I'm not involved in this in any way, shape, or form, coverage-wise. So, you know, for me, I can kind of I can nail my colours to the mast a little bit there. I've got no problem with Canelo, but I just think Golovkin has been tremendous. He has been avoided at times. And this trilogy so far, nothing has gone his way at all, has it? And I would just love it if he could somehow pull it out of the bag in this third and final fight. And it's not impossible. You know, I think he is being written off a bit too prematurely here because the reality is Canelo lost his last fight. Okay, that was at light heavyweight, not at super middleweight, but Bivol is not a massive light heavyweight. But he came up against somebody in Bivol who the tried and trusted method that he kind of settled into as he cleaned out that super middleweight division of kind of beating on the shell until it breaks, you know, the yeah. shoulders, the forearms, the gloves, and then taking his opponent out, that didn't work. And that's going to affect you mentally. I don't care. I don't care who you are. And you can make an argument that maybe he stagnated and stalled a little bit, Canelo, that this is his go-to now. He used to throw more in combination, sixes and sevens earlier in his career. Maybe the extra weight has made him a kind of different, a different kind of fighter. But that, I think, does suggest that Golovkin maybe has more of a chance here than people are giving him. But it's hard for me to work out really whether that's kind of wishful thinking on my part or not, because you would say that super middleweight is now Canelo's best weight. Although footage of him this week in a in a sweatsuit, that was quite interesting, I thought. So for me, anyway, it's a very long answer to your question. Um, I think I think the price on I think I think the price on Golovkin is very, very tempting because in a two-horse race with a fighter of his level and given what he's achieved, it's pretty remarkable that, that you can get him at uh, at almost five, like you said. Yeah. Um, but I understand, I do understand why. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting one. I think you touched upon some some really good points, uh, Andy, there as well. Like when, um, I mean, Tom, I'll go to you with kind of your analysis on the, the odds and stuff as well. But one key thing that kind of plays on my mind, and it's it's kind of, I think we spoke about it before we kind of went on air, is the is pulling the trigger on, on a bet um, where obviously you kind of feel that there is the value with the other fighter um, and you see that there is kind of characteristics where you can see that they can still win. Um, one thing I, I, I want to get your opinion as well is if the, it's kind of like the burnout of Canelo. I think like, do you think that his schedule over the last two years or so, something like that has been pretty epic, right? I mean, he's been boxing, what, four times a year, something on average. So, I mean... And he looked flat against Bivol. I know Bivol's obviously, you know, a bigger guy and stuff like that and obviously was putting a terrific performance and boxed extremely well. But he didn't look like Andy touched when he did. It almost looked like them tactics that he was using of kind of going into the latter half. He didn't really have that in the in, in the tank. So what's your thoughts on kind of where, firstly, where the odds sit, I suppose, and you kind of, if there's any value in in either, either fighter and kind of the, the way that Canelo and the, the, the price kind of shapes up it. Yeah, I think like you mentioned um Canelo being the, the firm favorite, 1.184, as you say. Um so 80, that's what 84.5%. Yeah. It's really it is really wide. And 
when you look at the first two fights, and I, I would look back to see how I scored the second fight, and I actually scored it for Golovkin. I had no problem with Canelo winning, um, and I had money on Canelo winning uh, by decision that night, so I wasn't certainly wasn't complaining. Yeah. But I did have Golovkin winning both fights, and I just I, I agree with Andy. I think Golovkin is being written off to a point where it's easy to forget that Canelo is the only guy who's ever beaten him, and yeah. really that all right, uh, Dorofianchenko some felt deserved to get the the nod there but really apart from that i thought the murata win last time for golovkin was was excellent and a lot of people were writing golovkin off there thinking he's he's going over to japan he's approaching 40 i think as he, as he was then and he is now um and he's going to get turned over and he didn't he, he you know he, he got the job done and i think this is going to be a very different fight style wise i think from what we've seen canelo do in his last few, particularly at super middleweight, um, because Golovkin will come at him in a way that the likes of Saunders or Callum Smith or Yildrim or or even Bivol won't. I think it's it's a different kind of style fight for Canelo. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit wide, and the the prices are actually moving or have moved over the past few weeks further and further apart. Um, not not too long ago at all, a few weeks ago, Golovkin was three to one. Now he's very nearly four to one. We know very well that the markets are, are often quite pro Canelo. And I expect that, I don't expect them to get any tighter before the weekend. But I think if you look at it and say, well, actually, does Golovkin have yeah, a 20% chance? Is it an 80-20 sort of fight? I don't know. I think there's every argument as well that we've seen the best of Canelo, as you say, Chris. With his schedule, he's he's done everything, you know, and he's you know undisputed at super middleweight. One, you know, the lot at middle, light middle. There, there's going to come a time, and I I really hate the kind of reactionary kind of viewpoint to say that a fighter's lost a fight and. We, we should be looking for a decline. And I don't think he's necessarily on the decline, but there, there is going to be a point where yeah, that will that. start. And it's logical to say that as with Golovkin, who I think we saw the peak of best part of a decade ago, maybe the peak Canelo was the Canelo we saw kind of rampaging through that kind of lockdown period and, and just before. Um, I think, I think it's a really good fight. Um, it, I think it will always be a really good fight. And yeah, I think there, there are a lot of people who were predicting this to be a complete whitewash before the Bivol fight. And it's certainly made it more interesting, but I'm of the opinion that it would always be a good fight just because of how the two match up, really. Yeah, I think they're I think they're made for each other, these two, aren't they? And and just to pick up off um something that, that that Tom mentioned there is is that you go by the record book a lot of the time, and it does say draw win for Canelo. But we know what happened in those first two fights. And sometimes somebody just has somebody else's number. That that happens in, in sport, but particularly in boxing. And in those first two fights, Golovkin was the better fighter. I, I don't think I don't think many people would really argue against that. And I understand the passage of time and the increased age and 
the move up in weight to super middleweight, which, you know, is quite big, eight pounds. And, you know, he's been a middleweight for his whole life. So you couldn't say now that that's really going to be beneficial for him. But at the same time, this guy who's going to come out of the corner and face him, Golovkin, he's going to have no fear of him because he's shared 24 rounds with him and he will feel he's won the majority of them. I I think the other thing as well, Andy, you mentioned about the weight. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for Golovkin. He's 40 years old, cutting any kind of weight. And he's he's not obviously a big, big guy, but cutting any kind of weight at that age is not particularly appetizing. And although I think super middle is Canelo's best weight, as he's kind of demonstrated, I don't don't really see it being an issue for Golovkin. The the way he hits as well, the the power, I I think he'll carry up. yeah, I, I don't, I, I kind of, when assessing this fight, I do kind of, I don't forget about it, but I don't think it's the the big factor that some are, are saying. No, I, I tend to agree. I, I kind of have at times forgotten that that it's up at, that it's up at super middle. I, I guess one thing to mention as well is that, and we talked about this quite a lot before the Bivol fight, I think we all basically said that we, we, we could absolutely see Bivol um, doing enough to win against Canelo in a really tight fight, but he, but he wouldn't get it on the cards and he needed yeah. to win really wide to get it. And he did. Um, you can't really see Canelo um, getting knocked out by Golovkin. So for Golovkin to win on the cards, unless we're doing the judges at ringside a disservice, then he's going to have to, he's going to yeah, have to yeah. win. He's going to have to win wide. Unless they've got in their heads what happened in the first two fights, you know, strange things can happen. Yeah, I was, um, it was actually, I was going to ask you, both of you, that actually, because um, it's, it's a very interesting point. And obviously, from a from a betting perspective as well, um, it's something that has often put me off against backing against Canelo. Sorry, even if like we kind of feel that he potentially might lose the fight, uh, you've always got that in your mind about the kind of favourable judging. I think I was looking um, earlier, and I think it was, I think it was Adelaide Bird. I think it was the scorecard in the first one. I think it was one eighteen. 110 I think it was the Canelo I mean that is I mean that's that's a sackable offense like <laughs> straight off to be given that kind of uh that kind of scorecard um the other two uh judges I think on there was 115 113 114 114 the draw now in the uh the trilogy fight on the weekend I believe that the two two of the judges from the first fight are still I think it's Dave Moretti and um, I think that there's a new judge. I think it's David Sutherland, who's never actually um, judged a, a Canelo fight. So this will be the first time he's actually been in charge of one. Um, and I, the, the other guy's name actually escapes me. But um, he, I think he was the, the judge in the first fight. He gave a fairly reasonable uh, score. Um, there's no Adelaide Bird kind of this time. So I suppose from betting on it, maybe to go the distance, or if you're considering backing, um, you touched by there, Andy, that you don't feel Canelo... Um, will get knocked out by Golovkin. What what are your thoughts on kind of the, I suppose, the history of Canelo in terms of the favourable judging? And I suppose if someone is looking and listening to the podcast this time and thinking that they they want to back Golovkin to win on points, would would you maybe suggest against that due to that due to that reason potentially? I think normally I probably would, but in this instance maybe not quite so much because I, I do think, although it shouldn't, I do think that the general consensus around what may or may not have occurred in previous fights when it comes to judging, I think it can get into people's heads. Uh, yeah. I think it, I think it does. And 
that could be the case. That could be the case this this weekend. We might just get a real yeah. fair crack of the whip from from all three judges. I'm not, you know, saying that everybody's holed up in their hotel room the night before the fight and there's this big brown envelope party. It's just that you kind of the evidence is there that, yeah. that when it's tight, certain fighters. They're like the home fighter. They're like the home fighter. May, Mayweather's genius, I'm, I'm not going to take us off on a massive tangent, but Mayweather's genius was that he won his fights so clearly most of the time, particularly towards the end when he was getting the mega yeah. press attention, that no one could really argue or say that he was being protected by Nevada, although he was the biggest money-making machine that the state of Nevada has ever seen. Um, but we know, you know, that, Nobody was going to want him to lose, were they? Who was involved in the in the in the the Mayweather business, the the Las Vegas business, the, the anything around their business? It's just it's just the way it is sometimes. Yeah, no, it's uh, you, you're totally right, and I think you touching upon Mayweather and obviously the the, the Canelo kind of scorecards as well. Like uh, Tom, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on this, but I remember the the Mayweather Canelo fight. I think it was that I think one of the judges had it 114-140 in the draw as well. <laughs> and I mean that is I mean that's even worse than the kind of Adelaide Bird scorecard. I mean how how anyone can watch that fight and, and, and score that a draw is absolutely beyond me. So like Andy said, it does kind of make you question, doesn't it? The kind of favorability or something there, because it, it's just one of them where you, you watch it and you like, I mean, sometimes there's situations where you can give it to, you know, you think, oh, there's, you know, there's a fair, but there's no way that that fight is a, is a draw. It's just not a draw. It's just a total, almost a total domination. So What's your thoughts, Tom, in terms of like, I suppose if people again are listening and they want to, you know, they are looking to potentially, we're kind of talking Golovkin up slightly here. And if there's not going to be a knockout, it's going to be a points win. Um, what's your thoughts on that in terms of the judging and kind of how how you kind of approach that from a betting angle? Well, I mean, before the Bivol fight, it was a much easier answer. <laughs> but all of us, I remember very well that we did it on the podcast and, and we said, he's just not... He's got every chance of winning the 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 fight inside the ring, but he's not going to get a decision. And we were proven wrong, and lots of other people were proven wrong by that. I think what plays it to Golovkin's favour here is that he has a, a kind of style that will impress the judges more than a lot of fighters. If you look at again, again, I'll go back to the um, Saunders fight or the uh, Caleb Plant fight. They have this kind of not necessarily defensive, but a, a bit more of a cuter style, um, often on the back foot, or whereas Canelo is the guy who's coming forward doing the the, the kind of the the heavier kind of artillery. And we know that US judges in particular do favor front foot fighters and aggression, effective aggression, it should be, but sometimes aggression. Golovkin isn't the type of guy who's going to be boxing on the back foot. And I think even, even though Bivol won the decision boxing very, very smart and, and very kind of efficiently, it's hard not to see Golovkin landing some, or the type of shots that will kind of carry favor with, with the judges. Will that give him a, a better chance of getting an even or, or kind of fair crack with them? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think also there is the, if you're talking about, you know, judging psychology, there might also be the temptation 
and we are kind of really going into the judges' heads here rather than any kind of sporting merit, um, of do they kind of write that wrong? Do they get their, you know, their, their, their prize attraction back on track with a decision win in a fight that he might well win fairly anyway? And I think, look, if you're, put it this way, I don't think you're ever going to see Golovkin at nearly four to one in a fight again. I think if he loses this, it might be his last fight. If he wins it, he's not going to be four to one in any other fight ever again. So I think it's a great time to be back in Golovkin. Do I think it's a, a value bet? Probably. Am I going to pull the trigger like I did in the fight? Probably not. Probably not. And I'll, I'll probably ruin it when uh, I, I think unlike the Bivol fight, I, I do think that Canelo should win this fight in a fight that is a lot more exciting than what we saw last time. It's one of those scenarios, isn't it? And you, you get this in, in betting a lot, don't you? Where it's that judgment call between, yes, we would agree that the odds on Golovkin, I think we would all agree that the odds on Golovkin are too wide. Yeah. But do we actually think he's going to win? It's 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 that simple, isn't it? Because in boxing, you get this quite a bit. You know, it's always a two-horse race, obviously. And you'll see some odds on somebody and you just think, wow, like there's just quite often in, in England where you've got a, a visiting fighter who is a good fighter and you know they're a good fighter, but maybe they got two or three losses on their record. Something a bit strange happened at some point. Um, Jorge, Jorge Linares against Anthony Crawler, for example. Linares had been chinned in the first round a couple of times. People probably didn't know too much about him. You know, they haven't got time to go into everything in to the nth degree. You know, they've got a lot of different markets to consider, I'm sure, uh, the odds compilers. Um, and Crawler was favourite for that first fight against Linares, which, with all due respect to Anthony, was extremely generous. Um, that's a good example of looking at it and thinking, yeah, that's that, that's too wide for a two-horse race, and I do think he's going to win. Whereas this might be in that other bracket where you just think, I should probably just back this, shouldn't I? Because, you know, just out of a sense of indignation at how wide these odds are. But that's not, that, that's not the way to do this, is it? You've got to think to yourself, do I actually think he's going to win? Yeah, and yeah, if the answer is no, then don't do it. I mean, the tenet or you know certainly one of the tenets of, of value betting is that if the price is bigger than you think it is you back it almost regardless in reality i know very vanishingly few people who do that and without that kind of second guess particularly in boxing in other sports people can pull it off much more effectively because you blindly back against the uh, the price because you've got a, a wealth of stats on board that tell you, okay, this is where the price should be. In boxing, you don't have that luxury. And so there's so much more of your own knowledge that has to be brought into play. And when that's brought into play, that's when you get the, uh, I was going to say the voices in your head, then that's not the right phrase. <laughs> the um, <laughs> That's when you get the kind of niggling doubts creep in and say, well, actually, I, I'm not sure. Um but for sure, they would be the wins that are the most satisfying if you just went with the price and they, and they land because they do happen, as we saw in, in May. Yeah, sure. Totally agree. So, um, I mean, looking into obviously made some fantastic kind of analysis and points there. And I think that I think one of the key factors is obviously the age of Golovkin. It's obviously I suppose it might look different on Sunday morning, but obviously they're, they're kind of backed on the fact that he is a little bit over the hill. Um, we've touched upon it in terms of, you know, 
the judges and things like that. In terms of our, I suppose, our kind of big fight predictions, obviously the from the from the talk of it and the sounds of it, we're not, it doesn't sound like anyone is favouring a, a a stoppage victory here for. Well, certainly not against Canelo, but um, Andy, I'll go to you first. What's your kind of um, thoughts finally? And I suppose if you was gonna, if you was gonna have a bet on this fight, or even if you are having a bet on this fight, what would be the the kind of bet that you place down? I think I would still be tempted, um, despite everything I just said. I think I would still be tempted to 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 put my pound in the Triple G corner because I think there are enough factors that make this a lot tighter than people I think are suggesting it could be. I've heard people say that they feel Canelo might stop him in the second half, Golovkin, and I wouldn't rule it out. You know, I, I think that that I can see it. You know, I can I, I hear the arguments for it and they hold water. Um, you can provide a convincing argument for that. But it just comes back to me to what has actually happened between these two in real life. And what has happened is that they boxed 24 rounds and that for me, Golovkin has won the majority of them. I thought he won the first the first fight, 8-4, I think was, was how I had it. The second one, let's say that was a draw at 6-6. Six, six. So, you know, 14 rounds to 10 minimum, I would, I would, I would, I would possibly argue. So as I said, there will be no fear from him. It's just whether physically he's he's still up to it. Um and you never really know because at some point it will be one fight too far and you don't know which one it's going to be. Yeah. But it happens to everybody. They, they go to, they get in there, they get to the point where they have to go to the well, dig down, bite down, all that kind of thing. And they expect to be able to do it because they've always been able to do it before. And then all of a sudden they can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Might happen to both of them. You never know. <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah, yeah. He's had a lot of fights, Canelo. He's had a lot of fights. So, so I, I am going to back Golovkin because I think it is too wide a price, and I think that there are some some little gremlins there with Canelo as well. Um, with the, I do think he stagnated a bit, and there will be some doubts in his mind after the defeat to Bivol, and he was in there for those twenty four rounds against Golovkin. He knows what happened. You're never going to hear him admit on the record. Actually, yeah, you know what? That was he got the rough end of the stick there with a with a defeat in the draw. I got the I got the rub of the green there. You're never going to hear him say it, but he knows. So triple G all the way. <laughs> the uh, touch of the point. What Andy said then, uh, Tom will go to you. Obviously, you've uh, you've talked up the um, the obviously the Golovkin odds. I think well, I think all of us have actually kind of had a had a hand into that. Uh, what's your kind of a uh, big fight prediction, and what would you say? I suppose. Well, I suppose from a from a perspective, if if you see it as value against Golovkin, and what would you who do you, who do you really think is going to win? As like Andy says. Yeah, look, if I'm being honest, I think that there is value in the Golovkin price. Um, if I'm looking for a bet that I think is a good price and still a, a little bit of uh, potential value that I think will actually land. It would be the Canelo decision, I think, at 2.1. I think anything kind of odds against on that is is good. Um, Like Andy, I I could see a scenario where Alvarez just does break him down. But again, based on the evidence, the the 24 hard, hard rounds that we saw, I think a decision is like, and possibly a wider decision for Canelo, I think is, is the most likely. Um, 
that's my decision and I, uh, sorry that's my prediction and if I was going to have a bet a little flyer on Golovkin isn't the worst thing but I yeah if uh, if I'm listening to my head over my sort of heart I guess it would be the odds against this for the Canale decision but the, the one price that I won't touch and I I the obvious uh, the reason should be obvious is the Canelo outright I think at 1.1 um x really it's far far too short yeah it's, it's, it's just so interesting this isn't it because we, we've outlined the argument about kind of like head versus heart and all the rest of it and 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 purely with my head if I had to bet my life on it you know that was serious stuff who's who's going to win I would I would pick Canelo but for a bet yeah I think it's too good a price for someone who I genuinely do really think has a good chance of winning. Yeah, I mean, the, like we said, I think you touched upon the first two fights show that there's, you know, little between the pair. And obviously, even you'd even favour, you know, Golovkin to be to have come out on top there, like you touched upon, Andy, with winning, you know, kind of 14 to 10, and that's being generous with the round. So obviously, there would have to be some kind of shift in, you know, how far Golovkin has actually declined to, to, get, to get Canelo into, you know, into kind of like a favour of that price. Because I think, to like Tom said, from my end, I mean, the outright at that price, kind of an eighty-five percent chance. I mean, this—I mean, he—he he, he likely will end up winning potentially, but I would not be backing that price there at, at such short odds. Um, especially coming off that loss, you kind of never know where his where his own kind of head will be at as well in terms of how he's going to approach this. So, yeah, I think we'll—I um, think we'll all be in agreement that we'll go with uh, the value is with Golovkin, and I'm definitely thinking of having a small wager on Golovkin myself. So we'll uh, see what see what comes of that. Yeah, next we'll uh, we'll move on to um, another really kind of interesting fight, um, one that's kind of um, captured uh, the imagination, I suppose, amongst uh, boxing betters, definitely due to the, the kind of the closeness of the odds and the kind of the way that this fight uh, matches up is um, Joe Joyce against um, Joseph Parker. Now, obviously, uh, the fight's uh, up at heavyweight. It's kind of... Um, I suppose the kind of fight that keeps the heavyweight kind of ball rolling as such, I suppose uh, we would put it. Um, a match between, the, I mean, two in-form, you know, very solid, good heavyweights. Um, and I guess the winner, um, depending on the result, will be kind of first in line for a shot at world title. Um, Parker comes in as the underdog on this at 2.65, uh, with Joyce the favourite at 1.51. Uh, so the odds are fairly close, but uh, the odds compilers and the pinnacle bookmaker are obviously favouring a, a Joyce victory, but it's not concrete. Now, um, I suppose we look at the form, Joyce uh, is undefeated, professional career kind of dispatched, I suppose, a lot of heavyweights that, are, that have been a bit past their best, but he does have that that kind of win over Daniel Dubois. He's uh, he stopped the main burn, Christian Hammer, Carlos Takam, guys like that. But the Dubois win is probably the one that kind of really stands out, even though Dubois is someone who's on the up as a, as a fighter, um, I found I found that quite impressive the way that he dealt with Dubois. Uh, Parker's for probably the higher level opposition, I, I would say, uh, but he's also like kind of becomes across almost as a gatekeeper at world level at the minute. But he does look a bit improved in the last fight, I suppose, against uh, Derek Chisora, and he's now under the tutelage of Andy Lee, I think. So he's, he's potentially got a bit of an upwards upwards curve there. Looks a little bit fitter, um, so it makes the fight uh, really kind of interesting. Um, it, it, it's it's too. Two big men, and some people kind of slate it. Some people enjoy it. I mean, I'm all for this fight. I'm quite looking forward to it. Um, 
Tom, I'll go to you first. What's your kind of thoughts on their mods, uh, where they sit? And I'm quite interested to get both your thoughts on, on kind of, firstly, kind of your analysis of the fight and who you think, you know, they favour. And if, if there's any value in either fighter, what's your, what's your kind of opinion on this? Uh, I think anyone who anyone who knows me will know I'm one of the kind of inaugural members of the Joe Joyce fan club. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I actually think this could be a little bit wide. Um I think this is a re- it's a really really good fight for both guys. Um, I think it's the right fight at the right time. Uh, I think, but I think it's going to be a really really tough fight. Uh, I, it's going to be, I'm pretty sure, kind of a war of attrition type fight. Um, one point five one uh, for Joyce, so sixty sixty six percent. Yeah, it's. It, I, I I couldn't back him any shorter than that. That's for sure. Uh, I I thought it was maybe kind of a, a four to six, um, so one point six six, um, sort of fight for Joyce to see him kind of down at nearly two to one on is a little bit tight. I think. All of that said, I think it will probably go the distance, and he would probably or most likely get a decision based on work rate because he just doesn't stop throwing. But if you look at the, it's kind of well documented, but the amount of punches that he shipped against uh, Carlos Takam, a guy who's on the wrong side of 40, it was really worrying. And that Joyce had a great chin, but he can't do that against good, good heavyweights. And, and Joseph Parker is a good, good heavyweight who can really hit. Um, yeah. I, I, again, I think I think Parker is probably the value here. It pains me to say it a little bit. Um, but it's, I think it's a great fight. Um, but I, yeah, in terms of picking a winner, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, Chris, to your final predictions <laughs> bit here, aren't I? Um, I, I think, yeah, I think bigger than 2.5 on um Parker is a good bet and that's what you're getting at the moment yeah sure I mean the um I'll go to you Andy I mean Tom touched upon some of the points there as well I mean the the amount of punches that he did ship in that in that fight um it's almost it was a bit of a contrast because when when he did box Dubois he was he was quite I wouldn't say the word cute but he was he was definitely kind of behind the jab and he, he almost beat Dubois with a with a single jab almost kind of just keeps kept doing what he was doing and it just kept working and working and he just carried it on um, in terms of the Parker fight, it is probably going to play out a little bit different. And Tom touched upon his kind of granite chin and stuff like that. I think I saw an interview the other, it might have been the other the other day where he, I think he said that he's had his kind of bone density measured against the average human, and he's apparently his bone density is three times that of the average human, which potentially can equate to a, a solid chin. Apparently, so I mean the evidence is uh, the evidence is there. How do you, how do you see this? this playing out and in terms of the odds there with uh Joyce obviously is a, a fairly I wouldn't say a heavy favorite but he's he's favored to win this fight by the bookmakers um and Parker kind of sits at a little bit of a, an underdog but also with that with that slight chance there what's your opinion on kind of the odds and how this one will kind of unfold I think the odds are pretty much spot on to be honest because Parker's a good fighter he's boxed at a good level of of course he's been a world champion Gave Dillian White a great fight. I was ringside for that one. Very much enjoyed that. But most importantly, I think he has improved since he's teamed up with Andy Lee because what he used to do a little bit would be to drift in stages of fights. He could be a little bit lazy. And we saw in that first fight against Derek Chisora that the same kind of thing happened. He he switched off at times and we could hear Andy in the corner saying to him, look, you've got to, you know, just, just telling him basically that. Um, but when he put it together 
and, and he let his hands go, you know, he looked a really good fighter because he is a good fighter. Uh, and it was an improved performance in the, in the, in the second fight against Chisora. For me, this kind of depends on how Joyce goes about it. He has got this incredible chin. We know that. And he's shown it to us in, in numerous fights, but particularly against Takam. I was ringside for that and for his last fight against Christian Hammer. And the question people ask is, well, you know, when he steps up and steps up against a really big puncher, he won't be able to get away with that. But as you said, he didn't do that against Dubois. And Dubois was renowned as being a real big banger. You know, he won that fight on the jab, as you said. Now, that, that was right, what you said. He did win that fight on the jab and he didn't really get caught. He took quite a lot of gloves on the forearms. He managed to block half, block, smother a reasonable amount of, of Dubois' um, firepower. And I think he's a bit too intelligent, Joyce, and he's been doing this too long to fall into that trap, which people often do um, about, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I cannot be knocked out. You know, you, you get two things with heavyweights sometimes, or fighters in all divisions. They can get carried away with the strength of their own chin, or they can get carried away with the strength of their own right hand. And they either develop punches disease or whatever the equivalent of punches disease would be, relying on your chin. You know, it doesn't really work, does it? Chin is disease. That's that's not that doesn't that's no good at all. But you know what I mean. You know, and and, and it is easy to get carried away with either of those two things, even for experienced guys. But I don't think he'll do that. No. I just don't think he will. I think against Takam, maybe he got caught early on. Maybe he did start a little bit slow, a little bit cold, but he probably felt what Takam had to offer and just thought, actually, you know what? I can I can just run this guy down. And although Takam did win some rounds, he never felt like he was winning the war. I don't think Joyce is going to do that against someone like... Parker I just don't I don't think he will and it won't necessarily be quite the spectacle that we might think it'll be but it might be you know with Joyce you can never really be absolutely sure yeah I think um I think like you said on, on there as well when he he kind of it's probably against uh, the likes of um Takam and and and, the, and and so it's it's maybe a case that he doesn't respect the power and he believes in his chin that much that he can literally kind of just walk them guys down he's not too worried about what's going to come back even if he has to take you know one or two to give to give free whereas like you say in that Andy I think that in this kind of fight and like he showed in the Dubois fight he did show that he can he can box and he can kind of use a jab and he can be quite you know quite I wouldn't say slick but he can kind of you know move around and he can kind of you know negate negate the other guy's kind of style as such so I'm thinking that I'm kind of on the fence like as well with you where he might I think he might approach this a little bit a little bit more from a, a kind of a tactical tactical type of a fight where he'll go from kind of build up the rounds and go from like one to three three to six and kind of see what's got to offer and maybe put his foot on the gas towards the end um so I'll go to back to you obviously you said you've jumped in with your fight prediction nearly there but the um I'll uh I'll kind of get your uh your kind of fight prediction for this and obviously in terms of um kind of I suppose the odds as well if there's anything anything that stands out as value for you what would you uh be picking yeah it, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about that because it hadn't really occurred to me that he might switch back to the the kind of jab and, and move approach that he used against Dubois because he walked tried walking through tech and tried walking through hammer and, and took about you know a thousand punches in in the process um so that would if, if that's the way the fight turns out it's I think it's a very different fight and I think suddenly Joyce 
in a boxing match, I would favour him to beat Parker certainly more than I would um, in a, a kind of a bit more of a brawl. Um, the big question is obviously whether he does that, of course. And I think I'm still inclined to think that at some point it will catch fire. Um, and I, I realise I see it differently to Andy in that sense. Uh, and I'm hoping I'm wrong because I think his best chance is is to box. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think Joyce is the rightful favour. I think he will probably win, but I'm, I'm going to go the reverse of what I said on Canelo Golovkin here. I think the value is with um, Parker, and I think he's probably backable at that. I think I think there's a stronger chance to back, um, stronger logic maybe to back Parker than there is to back Golovkin. Obviously a smaller price, but I think this is a much closer, closer fight. Yeah, sure. The um, I mean, I go to you, Andy, to get your uh, your prediction on there. And Tom said about it there that the um, I mean, I think that I think that with Parker, you'd have to to, to get behind him to back him in this fight. I think he'd have to be improved again upon what he has been improved upon already. Um, I think there was signs, like you said, under Andy Lee, that he's kind of potentially a little bit fitter and that he's you know potentially showing improvements there. I think I think to personally myself, I think to go up and be able to beat someone like. Joe Joyce at the present moment in time is on a bit of a roll. He would have to go up another level again. I mean, whether he can do that or not is another matter. I'm not saying that he can't, but um, where do you kind of sit in and where the, you know, potentially the odds are and there you touched on it there, but what's your kind of um, thoughts on who you kind of think will win and if there's a there's a bet that stands out for you? I think Joyce will win and the price on Parker is tempting, but my feeling with this one is that it will be a competitive fight and therefore what you could describe as a close fight. But I think that whichever way it goes, Joyce will emerge a clear enough winner. Parker's a good fighter. The only way I think he can really win is if he can hit Joyce and hurt him because otherwise Joyce will just keep coming and coming and coming. I think he'll do it in a more educated fashion than he did in the previous two fights, but he is capable of bringing some some serious heat. And if you can't hurt him or completely outbox him, uh, and I don't think Parker is is quite that guy, then he's very difficult to beat. He's going to be very difficult to beat for, for anybody because his boxing skills are underrated. And and I think I think we will see him go about this in slightly more circumspect fashion because he's really at the business end now, Joe Joyce. I mean, he's had some good wins up until this point and the Dubois one was obviously critical. But now, you know, it's possible that whoever wins this fight in due course, um, actually it's not now, is it? I was going to say it's possible that they could get elevated to uh, to WBO champion. Now that Fury and Usyk aren't boxing, that, 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 that that's not a scenario you can really conjure with. But... You know, you you obviously you're in line to to box for a for a world title, and he just he just cannot afford to lose. It's as simple as that. Parker's won a world title before. Obviously, he wants to win another one. But for Joyce, given the age he is, I think his career has been very well managed and well steered so far, and he just cannot afford to lose. Uh, and I think that you know, I think that plays a part too. Yeah, totally agree on the um, on the points there. I think it might be the next uh, kind of the way that his career has been managed, the next trajectory on his kind of on his role towards getting a world title shot. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how that one plays out. Really looking forward to that. 
Um, lastly, we'll touch upon uh, an intriguing fight that we we actually brushed over on the last episode, and that is uh, the Chris Eubank Jr. fight against uh, Connor Ben. Now we spoke briefly about this on there. The odds um, in on this at Pinnacle have actually come in in Eubank Jr.'s favour since we last spoke. He's now into a 1.454 favourite. Um, Connor Ben's drifted out slightly. Um, since we last touched upon it, to 2.85 or around about that kind of price. Um, I mean, I'm not even sure where to start with this one, to be honest, but the, <laughs> the um, we've had, uh, you know, Eubank this week saying that his dad's saying he's going to pull out and Senior's not going to go ahead with a fight, that, you know, his life's in danger and things like this. And, yeah, the rehydration clauses, the weight cuts, we had the, I think the face-off uh, on the zone, which was fairly interesting, to say the least. Um, and, I'll go to you um, again, Andy, just to, to touch a bit there. What, what this? I, I can't. I'm all for this fight, but I can't. I find it so odd the way it's kind of being built up, and I kind of see. For me, it just feels like I, I could be wrong here, but I just Connor Ben just seems too small for me to be going in with someone like you. I know Eubanks are, you know, are not a big kind of middleweight as such, but he has boxed up at super middle. Um, he's, I think he's actually potentially boxed a couple of fights against borderline kind of light heavyweights at times. Uh, I think when he boxed at the undercard of um, the, um, what was it? I think it might have been the George Groves, um, Callum Smith fight. I can't remember the, the, the Irish guy he boxed. I can't remember who he stopped. I think he's, he's, he's boxed up at light heavyweight. So to be boxing someone of Conor Ben's kind of size um, is intriguing me. What, what's your thoughts on this? And I suppose with the odds, but how do you see it playing out? And I suppose, do you have any insight into the, into the rehydration clause or any, anything that, you know, to do with the weight or anything where this it's all a little bit up in the air, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And 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 no is, is the short answer. One thing I, I did hear is that um, if Eubank comes in at over 158 and a half, then the fight will be off. Now, that's one thing I, I did hear. I think Tony Sims might have said that on the podcast, actually, talking to, to seconds out and, and people didn't seem to really pick up on it too much. But if that's true, then I, I, I completely understand that because what you can't have here, what would make this a total nonsense would be if Eubank just missed the weight, took the financial penalty, um, and went about it that way. That that would be, that would kill it. Really, that would just just ruin it completely. Um, but he obviously can make 157 pounds because there's there's medical checks you can do now. You can get people to to investigate, do the analysis, and tell you whether you can do this safely or not. And he wouldn't be doing it if he couldn't do it safely. Yes, it will be hard. But I absolutely believe that Eubank Jr. has got the professionalism to do it. I didn't take what Senior said this week too seriously. I thought that was just him kind of going a little bit rogue. And I think that's what it's turned out to be because he can't pull his son out because the contract, as Callis Allen said this week, is with Eubank Jr., not with Eubank Senior. Uh, and then when you look at who, who you're going to pick to win this fight, if you pick Ben in this fight, then you are flying in the face of all logic and all kind of previous fights that we've seen like this. Kelbrook against Triple G, Amir Khan against Canelo, to give a couple of recent examples. I saw Connor last Friday, actually. He was at the Intercontinental, the, the fight hotel. I think he was just nipping in for a couple of nights, a little kind of very mini break um, in the middle of camp to, to watch the fights, to watch Shields against Marshall. And he came over to me, Matt Macklin and, and, um, and Johnny Nelson, and he looked amazing. 
He looks in fantastic shape. You see the pictures in the gym. He looks trim. He's about a stone off weight, he says, which means you're not really far off being on weight by the time you, you take the, the final bit off to uh, towards the last few weeks or so. He looks absolutely sensational. But the reality is that you are the weight you can make and he can make welterweight. Therefore, he is a welterweight. Eubank cannot make super welterweight. He cannot go any lower than 157. So that's what he is. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between the two. And then when you factor in that Eubank has boxed at a higher level um, because he's a more experienced guy and he's had he's had more fights, Conor Ben is as game as they come. I'm a massive fan of the way he's gone about things, the improvements that he's made. But you have to pick Eubank in this fight. You just have to. There is no other choice. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very interesting um, one with the way it, it it fascinates me to be honest in terms of the kind of um, the way not so much the way they're coming in at just the kind of size difference I suppose between the pair and the kind of trajectories their careers have been on in terms of who they boxed. Um, Tom Andy touched upon it and we both spoke. I mean, the, the big one here is the way we've seen Eubank Junior walking around the O2 eating you know bargain buckets and KFC or whatever he was kind of doing there. I don't, I don't know if that's the kind of a uh, psychological warfare to kind of drum up the, the interest. It reminded it reminded you of Mayweather in, in those old 24-7s and all accesses, didn't it? Where he'd always yeah. drag the poor film crew to like a drive-through at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. trying to convince, he's obviously got some deal with the restaurant <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah, trying yeah, to convince yeah. everybody that in the middle of camp he's eating burgers and then we all know he wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got the guy from a fight hype on a on a, on a nice little wage to promote, <laughs> to promote it. <laughs> the, um, yeah, it's, uh, it is intriguing. I know, I think when we touched on it last time so you kind of um i got the slight impression that you was you was even maybe looking at the the connor ben odds um in here i think to be honest i'm i'm a little i'd have to sit down and take a bit of a deeper dive into analysis i'm a little bit kind of all over the place with this one at the minute what's your kind of thoughts on what i suppose where the, the odds sit and obviously the reaction to everything that we've kind of talked about yeah i think this fight reminds me of a lot of brook versus khan in that there are so many questions and i remember when we were doing the podcast so that we were kind of scratching around a little bit because there are so many potential outcomes but i think on the last podcast when we just touched on this fight i recently kind of read an opinion by someone that said actually if both men are still standing after 12 rounds there's a chance that ben could could win and it would be a, a shock and I thought, <laughs> yeah, I, I could, I could maybe see it in a moment of controversy or a split decision or something, something like that. But I think, as Andy said, in all aspects of this fight, whether it's weight, height, reach, experience, um, level they fought at. Every single attribute is a tick in the Chris Eubank Jr. box. So if you're backing Connor Ben, what are you doing it on? Are you backing it based on a good win or a good run of form, which he's been on, but is down at welterweight? Um, the other argument I think that I've heard a few times is saying, well, actually, you can look at the Kelbrook fight against Golovkin. You can look at Amir Khan against Canelo, two fighters we've just spoken about. But Chris Eubank Jr., and I think Eddie Hearn said the same, Chris Eubank Jr. is not 
either of Canelo or Golovkin. Although you've got the weight difference, he's not the kind of elite fighter that those two were at the time. And, you know, they're not pound for pound type guys. Rather, he's not a pound for pound type fighter. So in that sense, the gap is smaller. But I think it's very difficult to make a case to back Conor Ben. And I think a lot of people will. And that's that's what's kind of fascinating about this, because I think he's pop, more popular than Chris Eubank Jr., I think. Um, people kind of love to hate Chris Eubank Jr. a little bit, so they'll, that will attract a bit of Conor Ben money. Um, and he's scored a lot of knockouts recently. And so I think people will buy into that. And I, I certainly think he will see a lot of public money. But... In reality, I think Eubank Jr. at what 1.45, so 69%. It's a big price, isn't it? Um, I think he should be shorter than that. And I think, you know, realistically, what would you make him? 1.3, 1.25-ish? Yeah, roughly. Potentially even longer. Again, if you if you weigh up all of the things that are in his favour, he's a, a, a middleweight against a, a welterweight. Chris Eubank Jr. would be a shorter price to beat a lot of middleweights than 1.45 and a lot of good middleweights. Um, but of course, in a fight like this, a lot of kind of logic goes out the window. I, but I totally agree with Andy. It's very, very difficult to make a, a sensible case for Conor Ben to win this fight and an even harder one to um, put some money on, on him doing it. Yeah, sure. The, um, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of go to the last part of it. I suppose that the talk of this fight is... It's almost obviously the weight, but then it's also what's gonna, what's almost gonna happen once the once the bell sounds. Um, you know, like you touched point Tom with the, you know, if they're both still standing as a chance of a points decision, if he takes the weight here, if he can handle his punch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So many variables. Um, I suppose Andy always alludes to this as well on the podcast, and it's totally correct. Is that you have to, especially when you're betting on the boxing. I always find that is that you have to look back at stuff that has actually kind of happened now if we're looking at a kind of uh i suppose to look for a value kind of bet on here as such like if we look back over chris eubank jr's career um recently as such i mean he he i know people have their opinions on the performance but he did drop liam williams four times i think it was um he actually managed to have the gale down um over in the corner when he kind of got got amongst him it wasn't a kind of a clean knockdown but he did put the gal down like when you weigh that up against a Conor Ben, would Conor Ben be able to knock James DeGaulle down in a fight? Would Conor Ben be able to put Liam Williams down four times in a fight? Would Conor Ben be able to box up at like heavyweight and hold his own? It, like probably no um, would be the answer, I'd imagine, um, which makes it quite fascinating. Whereas Chris Eubank Jr. has done that. Uh, he has done that. He has kind of, you know, achieved that feat. So, I suppose to you, Andy, I suppose in terms of like the, the outcome of the fight and if it's going to be, you know, a, a stoppage points win, do you think that because of that kind of stuff, and when you look into the facts that all roads would point to the sensibility of the bet saying that Eubank Jr. should win this by stoppage? Yeah, it would. It would. It, the, the the Williams fight was 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 kind of fascinating. I was there for that. And he he put Williams down and hurt him, buzzed him badly with a jab basically, was was the first knockdown. And then he knocked him down a few more times. He had a massive lead mm. by halfway. But then in the second half of the fight, he did drift a bit. And people were wondering, you know, why didn't he stop him? And so you could point to, could there be potentially stamina issues for Eubank in the second half of the fight after he's boiled down to 157? Could be. Yeah. You know, that that's something you could, you could look at if you were looking for pro 
um, Ben potential factors. But I think the smart money would be on a, on a Eubank stoppage. Um, Team Ben are obviously confident or they wouldn't have taken it. You look at the people he's got around him and how carefully he's been guided so far. And I think he's been guided really well. I don't think he's been overly protected. This is somebody with basically no amateur experience, remember. I think they've done exactly the right thing with him, stepped him up at exactly the right rate. And they obviously don't think that a punishing defeat is in store for him here, or they wouldn't have done this. I know that there's there's a lot of money involved in this, but you look at how, as I say, how much thought and diligence has been put into his career so far. They wouldn't have opened him up to any what they felt was real potential career changing, a career changing defeat here. They obviously don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and the corner's got a big part to play, like like Dominic Ingle with with Kelbrook against Gennady uh, Golovkin. You know, if it gets rough, um, then you know you don't want to be leaving him in there in there too long. You would definitely be erring on the on the side of caution. And we know that there's there's, there's no quitting Ben. I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. So I would expect that he will give a good account of himself. He will show all the all the grit and the determination we know from him. Um and, and he's got plenty and he's got some skill too. But I just think ultimately he is boxing a middleweight. It's as simple as that. And I remember when Brooke boxed Golovkin and people talked about how amazing Brooke looked physically and all the rest of it. But as I said before, you are the weight you can make. Um, and one of these two can make 147 and the other one is going to have to work hard to make 157. Yeah, I agree on that and as well. And the, um, I mean, so we'll go to, go to you just to, just to finish off. I mean, the, Andy's touched on it there again, is the, is kind of the, um, you know, the, the fact that they are, they are the way that they're at. And I mean, the, the, the type of the way this fight's kind of, going to play out. I can see where, I can certainly see where Ben can get success early. Um, no question. Um, obviously he's going to be fresh. He's sharp. He's quite spiteful. I find it quite interesting. The comparison that a lot of people make between um, the Eubank Jr. Isn't, you know, this killer like Golovkin and uh, he isn't this, you know, this type of, this type of fighter because earlier on in his career, obviously during the, you know, the Nick Blackwell fight. And I think the uh, Spike O'Sullivan fight, he was actually, although that's not at the level of a Brooke Golovkin, he was actually very, very well known as being a bit of a, a savage, a bit of a, a bit of a, you know, a spiteful fighter throws punches and punches and bunches fit as, you know, fit as they come. Um, do you think that, because he is, I think, believe he's about 32 years old now. And Andy said that it might be that he is, you know, it may be that Team Ben do think he's a little bit kind of long in the tooth and he's on the decline. And that is one of the reasons why they've taken this fight because his style has changed pretty drastically. I mean, under Roy Jones Jr. And like Andy alluded to there, he kind of took his foot off the gas. I think the Eubank Jr. of five, six years before that would have literally tried to take Liam Williams out, no question, kind of like go through the gears. Um, where do you see, do you think Eubank Jr. potentially on the slide here as such? And maybe that's the reason why they've taken it. And what's your kind of, uh, I suppose, at this at this present stage in time, I mean, this could change closer to the fight with the amount of things involved in this contract. <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your kind of final big fight prediction? Well, I think the point about um, Jones Jr. is a, a good one because I, I was under the impression that he wasn't coaching, um, wasn't training uh, Eubank in this fight. Am I am I wrong on that, Andy? Do you know? No, I think I think you're right about that. I mean, yeah. we, 
No one seems to really know because Eubank Senior said that he wanted to be in the corner and now he doesn't want the fight to happen. And and to be perfectly honest, you, you never quite know what's going on with Team Eubank, but I think he's best kept away from this. Um, he's, he's going to have a role and people will want to speak to him and Nigel as much as possible. Maybe he'll want that. Maybe he won't want that. You know, he's, he's kind of his own guy, isn't he? But I think from the, yeah, if he's not keen on this fight, then I don't really see any percentage or, 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 or benefit of having him in the corner, to be honest. So maybe it'll be Ronnie Davis. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of what I've seen since, since he, since he's been under Jones, Jones has kind of got him trying to box a bit like Jones. And that's not, that's not what you bank is, is it? That's, that's, that's not, you know, that's not him. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, the yeah, I think you're you think you're right, Tom. You said about it with um with the train. I don't think I don't think they actually know who's going to be. In the I, th- I think it is. Uh, I think it is Ronnie now that um Andy said that, isn't it? Because after Eubank Senior came out and said, "I'm pulling him out because of the weight," I think Ronnie Davis came out and said, "No, he's yeah. fine. The weight is the weight is good." So I, I, yeah, I think that is the case. And and I guess if that is the case, and let's say that it is, um, will it be the Eubank? that fights like he did under Jones Jr. And I think you're right. I think he would have gone out and stopped Liam Williams um, had it been the more the Eubank of old. Um, but I think also the, the occasion here is, is going to be so big for both men that I think a lot of that kind of stuff could go out of the window on the night. I, the one kind of line that is more interesting to me, if you're looking at the or looking away from the outrights is the over under um, pinnacle have that at 7.5 rounds at the moment. Um, it's about coin toss 1.93 the way I think it is. Um, 7.5, I think is quite low um, for a fight of this stature. A lot of big fights get, tend to go long and for it to kind of just go into the, you know, the eighth round, I don't think that's too much of an ask. And I think I'd be really surprised if, Eubank came out and stopped Ben in two or three. I, I just don't think he would approach it in that way, even though he might be capable of doing it. Um, There's a better chance of him doing it that way now that he's not with Jones, though, I would say. Yeah, I, I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree. And it, it might be that he does it to prove a point because there is so much at stake here. But yeah, and I, that's the other thing. Ben isn't going to take him back with Seth either, is he? he no, that's he it. It, it so could quick. be really interesting to start, it, couldn't it? it because could be, yeah, yeah, um, you're putting me off that over seven point five already. <laughs> no, I, I think I think I, I, I'm with you on that because I think, I think they set the bar pretty pretty much in the right place there. Mm. But you're right. A lot of big fights where people talk about how it's blink and you miss it. You know, hold on to your hats, all the rest of it can often surprise us and go and go look at Usyk Joshua everyone agreed that that wasn't going the distance that he went the distance and it didn't even nearly not did it you know there was no point during that fight where you thought it was going to end early so that you know that yeah you're dead right about that fights often go longer than people think they will particularly when it's a really emotionally charged kind of fight like this where everybody's predicting some massive smash up Eubank's quite cold I find um, Mm. you know on the night which is a good thing um Ben, you would look at and say that he's probably the more potentially could kind of surrender to his emotions. That could be a problem that he would have on the night more than Eubank. But yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is the glory of this fight, isn't it? That, that we're, we're sucked into talking about all sorts of things away from the kind of bare bones of middleweight against against welterweight, and that's why that's why yeah. people are interested in it. I think the um, I think one of the kind of factors that would be quite interesting, and what the one thing I'm totally intrigued about this fight is what happens when Eubank lands on Ben. That that is the the one thing yeah, me that too. intrigues mm. me massively because. Um, Looking at it, it, it could be over quick, couldn't it? It could yeah, be. Yeah, like I, I don't expect it to be either, Tom. But but it could yeah. be. It could be it, that Eubank it, it just be, plants sure. his yeah. Eubank plants his feet and just thinks, right, I'm just going to give it to you because I don't think you can hurt me. You're a welterweight, yeah. and I'm going to show you what this is all about. That I mean, it's possible. Yeah, because it's. I mean, like we said, I mean, like Eubank Junior is not known as he's not known as a puncher. But if you look through his career and his record. I mean, in terms of his chin, that's not in question. He's been in with, you know, George Groves, guys like that who haven't moved him. They, you know, he's lost a couple of fights, but they haven't, haven't moved him. He's been in with punches that you would imagine George Groves can hit a lot harder than a uh, Conor Ben. They're, they're almost two different, you know, entities when it comes to size wise. I mean, like in terms of like whether Ben can take his, his power is so fascinating to me in the, in this fight, because I just think that, I think we said about it last time, and I think when Ben was got dropped early in his career, I think you said you was ringside for it, Andy, with against Cedric Pienaar, that that fight. Like when we're looking at, and again, that was it early in his career. He was down at a lower weight, but that has happened. Like that, that he was dropped by a guy of that level, and he was in a bit of trouble in that fight. So, oh, he was if, in all if, sorts yeah, yeah. of trouble. Yeah, if, if you're essentially, you can come on all you like as a boxer, um, and you can improve what you like, but. As, as the famous old saying is, you can't necessarily improve your chin. So is it a case of like where the matchmaking that they've done with him, he's obviously been up at, you know, light, boxing light welters, welters who are kind of, you know, let's be honest, they're over the hill, you know, kind of Chris Algieri and guys like that. They were good fighters, but they're definitely long in the tooth. I just think that if he's getting put over by a guy like that, albeit in the past. I mean, a lot of people would have probably totally forgot about that um, a, a completely thing, but I just, I just find it fascinating. Maybe he does get hit by Eubank and totally, you know, take it. I just think that if you show vulnerability early in your career, a bit like maybe like, like an Amir Khan, he was getting put over by like a Willie Limond and nicked and people go, oh, but when he goes up and he's going up a weight, but when once you've seen it, it it's there. Like it, I always say with like a boxer, it's, it's always there. Um, a little bit like Joshua getting clipped a couple of times. It's always seems to be there. So I just wonder what what happens the first time he gets hit by him. It's just fascinating for me. But um, yeah, I mean, probably why we're all going to tune in, right? (laughs) I think as well, Chris, you you mentioned about the matchmaking of Ben. And that's, again, why this is so fascinating, because all of that careful build at, at welterweight, it was kind of meticulous. And the, the kind of critics of that run will, will look at it and say, well, guys like Sebastian Formella, Van Heerd and Algieri, these aren't just fringe welterweights who might have had their best days. They're all fringe welterweights who've had a very, very light knockout record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very light power. Yeah. You've got Chris Algieri kind of nine, nine career um, knockouts. You know, these were guys who yeah. couldn't punch yeah. in, a, in a way that he was expected to be hurt by them. Two weight divisions below as well. And, and now and now he's going up to fight a very, very good middleweight who can punch. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what makes it a really, a that's really what, bold, yeah. a really bold step. And they just Tony Sims must have seen in the gym that, you know, when he spars with Felix Cash and fighters like that, that he can he can take what he's given. Um, big gloves, head guards, obviously, all the rest of it. But there's got to be some real confidence there that he can, or, or they just just would not have allowed this 
to happen. But but you're right, you know, that fight against Cedric Payno, he boxed terribly that night, Ben. He thought he could walk through him and, and he paid a price for it. Um, but it happened. And, and you know, as, as we say on this, you know, I, I say often to the point of being crushingly dull, you have to look at what has actually happened in real life. And that, that happened. Yeah, no, yeah, you're totally right. And then obviously with the kind of Tom touched upon with the matchmaking as well, it kind of just it kind of just makes you wonder um, when there, you know, is the confidence actually there to kind of build him up and kind of ease him in? Because I think in this fight, there's definitely an illusion that like people aren't talking about Eubank Jr.'s power enough because he's not a puncher necessarily at his own weight, but but that he can punch. He's put, like I said, you know, DeGaulle over Liam Williams, guys like that. They're, you know, Liam Williams went 12 rounds with Andrade and people like that. He got dropped. I mean, I think he got dropped one a bit of a flash knockdown, but he's he generally, you know, a solid guy. He's got a decent chin. He's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't go over easily and stuff like that. And he gets put over by Eubank. Eubank put DeGaulle down. I know DeGaulle was, very like, past his best, but he wasn't absolutely. I mean, he was only kind of 31, 32 years old at the time. Who drops the gale? I mean, what Badu Jack maybe once in his whole career, if I remember, probably like that. I mean, Eubank put him over. I just find it fascinating in terms of the the, the, the size and the power. I just think that, like, again, it's one of them, like we said before, Tom is pulling the trigger on the bet, but I almost have this, this inkling that he's just going to be his power is just going to be too strong for him I mean I just, I just can't see how Ben will will be able to will be able to take it maybe I'm wrong maybe Ben comes out and his pin turns into Golovkin overnight or you know <laughs> that but I just I just can't I just once I've seen it once and obviously the matchmaking it always uh, strikes me of like you know I mean you guys have been in boxing for years and it's just it, it does make you wonder in terms of when you see you know kind of like the way they they match people and you know, the type of person they was even talking about at well away, kind of like the UGAS and people like that. They're not, you know, he's not the biggest of punchers, but he's a kind of a bit of a, a world level kind of name. Um but yeah, this is this is this is definitely one of those fights whereby afterwards there could be a lot of 2020 hindsight if what <laughs> you're outlining there happens, because mm. it definitely could happen. Um and yeah. we won't know until we see Eubank connect solidly with Ben for the first time. It yeah. could be all over at that point, for all for all we know. And were it to be, you couldn't really point at Conor Ben and just say, "Oh, well, you know, what a terrible performance." What you would have yeah. to think would be, "Yeah, I mean, we had a middleweight against a welterweight. What did you yeah. really think yeah. was going to happen?" But this is yeah. the thing about boxing: you can spin it, and it's smoke and mirrors, and and yeah. and all the rest of it. You know, it's 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 illusory. It's the traveling circus, isn't it? And yeah. But so, if that were to happen, I don't think any there will be loads of people if that happens, just like stroking there and just go, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I'm of course so, that yeah. was <laughs> that was always going to happen. You know, and you just and you'll think to yourself like you normally do, where were you last week? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were you were quiet last where's week, but you've got a lot to say your, now. You know, where, where's your bet slip with the mortgage that you you know yeah, exactly, get on yeah. it and the thing? Mm. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating, and I suppose in in, in in the end, that's probably why you know if you're not involved, Andy or anyone's involved, it's probably why you're going to buy the pay per view. So uh, it's probably the, puts the puts the bums on the seats, and obviously collects collects the pound notes. We say, which is what we want, which makes it fascinating, but obviously difficult for people who are betting on boxing. But um, I mean, yeah. Fantastic insight today, uh, guys. That was uh, really, really interesting. I, I think I've learned a few things myself, actually, there in, uh, in the in the in the podcast. And uh, yeah, I mean, for all of our listeners that have been um, listening to the podcast today, all of the odds that uh, I've discussed with Tom and Andy are all available at uh, www.pinnacle.com. And always remember to gamble responsibly. <laughs>